five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. No good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> so Akia, Akia in Atlanta had a bunch of employees get together and decide on what would be a fun uh, menu for their in-store cafe uh, for June 13th, uh, Juneteenth, I'm sorry. And um, and they decided that it would be really good to have like a commemoratory meal or whatever, uh, of fried chicken, watermelon, mac and cheese, potato salad, collard greens, and candied yams, of which I like all of them. I have only had collard greens once or twice, and I'm not big on greens at, of any sort. So, you know, that I would have skipped. But everything else, some of my all-time favorites. And you'd think, well, isn't that nice, you know? <laughs> and I should emphasize that IKEA had a had a set of employees come up with this, and it was diverse, I should say. But people called in and called local stations, and 30 employees, 33 employees didn't show up for work, and people actually wanted to quit. One, one said to a radio station, to a, a radio station, they used to feed slaves watermelon. Right, true. My mother used to feed me watermelon. I, I, and I'm not, that doesn't mean she condones slavery. Uh, she gave me water too. I'm sure they drank water and, you know, probably other things. Uh, you know, I like corn on the cob. We had a foreign exchange student who could, couldn't eat it because that's the way pigs ate corn. <laughs> you know, there's all sorts of things that go through people's heads, I have to admit. And I'm not saying they're wrong to think that. They can think whatever they want. But uh, Akia said, you know, we were just trying to be nice. Uh, a few of our co-workers believed they were representing their culture and tradition with these foods of celebration. And, you know, those are kind of like down south foods, right? I got to say, I love fried chicken. And I grew up down south. And I did. And if I go down there for more than 10 minutes, I sound like I'm there. I'm from there, you betcha. Anyway, so, uh, you know, you can't win, I think. People need to chill. <laughs> Have a little watermelon and chill. And, you know, I'll probably get blocked for this. Okay, the next one. This came from Richard Moore. <clears throat> this is an article he just recently wrote. Richard sent me some stuff yesterday <clears throat> because we covered an article. And I hadn't listened to the audio yet. And I, But I did put the link for the, for the podcast in there. And it basically said that the Nevada law, which I haven't seen anyone really comment on besides that podcast, the Nevada law claims that if if the state thinks that a, a, a merchant is is using data that they don't have the right to use or contacting people without prior opt-in, which is a vague area in itself, um, that that everyone in the supply chain is liable and can be sued. <clears throat> That's what the Nevada law supposedly says, which suggests that if you mail into a Nevada, that you are liable for anybody that the printer... I mean, is the post office liable? They're, on the, they're part of the supply chain, right? Why aren't they liable for delivering mail that the recipient may not want? 
I remember going to Dublin and seeing this beautiful brass plaque on the door, on the mail slot on the door. It said, no junk mail. Just beautiful. I think I took a picture of it. It was the nicest one I'd ever seen. Does that make the USPS, because Nevada says so, does that make USPS liable? I don't know. They might have passed a really nutty law. I mean, I remember when New York State decided that all mailing lists were were uh, came under sales tax. And you had to figure out elaborate equations to decide what was and what wasn't. So all those brokers moved out of New York and over to over to Connecticut or New Jersey. It was just, you know, over the river. And it was no big deal, but they all moved their headquarters out of New York because New York went, you know, and passed a goofy law. So I think we, you know, time will tell whether Nevada has shot themselves in the foot. And uh, I believe it's a violation of interstate commerce. Although Richard disagreed with me on that because it basically prohibits anybody. It, it's going to stop anybody from mailing into Nevada if, if they try to enforce it. And I think Nevada is really making a huge mistake. And I think Colorado, uh, according to, to Pat on that podcast, I think uh, Colorado is making similar mistakes. And, um, you know, when we, when we elect people who hate business we get all kinds of interesting ramifications it's hard to create jobs when the state that uh you know i uh, i had a friend who who had a a company that did a lot of sweepstakes stuff and you know the the rule used to be that a, a sort of a an ordinary person could make sense of the mailer and then they changed the law just a little bit of the wording to basically say whatever we think is deceptive just that. If we think it's deceptive, then then we can sue you for harming our state, for harming the people in our state. And he said, you just can't fight it because people people are paid to go sue companies, and that's their job. And they 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 are paid whether they win or lose. They're paid to go after people, but you have to basically pay out of pocket to defend yourself. And so after a while, he went into a couple other businesses. He's done okay, but, you know, a lot of jobs lost. A lot of people have no fun with no sweepstakes. Uh, anyway, so uh, Richard, I should cover his article now that I brought it up. Is your toaster CPA compliant? And he says it early on in there, it's, it, that's a trick question because products can't be non-compliant under CCPA. I get that. And uh, most companies that do legitimate business aren't going to be liable under CCPA. I think also mail is not particularly targeted in CCPA, although the revised version and in the early version, there was a 30 day we can fix this option, which I think is always a great idea for for government when they pass crazy laws to give us a chance to find out what the charges are, at least, you know, with the IRS. I get letters. I got one on my, my kitchen table right now. Uh, you know, I was I had a business for about 20 years and, you know, we kind of waned. It kind of waned and wound down. And uh, so we just didn't take pretty much. We didn't we didn't take any expenses and file them because, you know, we didn't we didn't think we'd really ethically deserve to whether it's legal or not. We just decided not to. And so I get a letter saying your your Schedule C looks incomplete. <laughs> So now I'm going to take a red pen and put zeros in, you know. I got one two years ago from my, the IRS saying you needed to put a balance sheet in 
well, the requirement for a balance sheet is $250,000 of, of positive net worth, I think, <laughs> on your balance sheet to, to require to file it. Well, guess what? It isn't that. <laughs> so I circled that on the code, printed out the code, just circled it and stuffed it back in an envelope. And I got a letter in a couple months saying, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> That's why you didn't include it. So they give you a chance. You know, they tell you what they want and you got a chance to fix it. So I always recommend if you're, if you're passing laws that could put a couple of billion dollar industry out of business, that you put a little clause in there that says, and if we think, you know, you're doing something wrong, we have to notify you and then you have a chance to make your case. It's sort of like due process. It's sort of a fundamental American right, but they don't always apply it to business. Okay, so uh, the toaster is compliant in the sense of that it can't be non-compliant. <clears throat> From a logical standpoint, all toasters are compliant, although the, there is a funny example in here. He says, toaster A, <laughs> and I don't see that. <clears throat> toaster A is compliant. Toaster, oh, Somehow it ate that page. LinkedIn ate the page. But uh, he had pictures of both post. Toaster A uh, is just a toaster. Toaster B has a microphone, listens in on all your conversations, <clears throat> and retargets you on, on products that it thinks you mentioned. <laughs> now, the company that tracks you with your toaster, I don't own any of those. I don't own any appliances with Ethernet plugs except my TV, <clears throat> but it doesn't have a microphone as far as I can tell. <clears throat> it's an old smart TV, and half the stuff doesn't work anymore. Amazon doesn't support it, etc. Anyway, so the product isn't non-compliant. We will see. I guess that's – and I do recommend listening to Deborah Korn's program with Pat McGrew. Neither of them claim to be legal experts, but – I'd like a follow-up, maybe a more in-depth article, Deborah, uh, with Pat, uh, or maybe I could ask questions and you could come on my show, and we could we could delve into especially Nevada and Colorado because that seems to be the problem. Okay, now uh, this is a an interesting article. Can pay performance model work for direct mail? And I would say to sum this up. From Chris Bixler, very well thought out article. As you can see, it's longer than I want to cover. But um, Chris makes the point that you know it works in digital. This is the best best part. Maybe is the first line. More digitally native brands are making their way and flocking to direct mail. Didn't know that. And they're they're vying to bring a paper performance model to them. I think pay performance works for some. Some companies, I think it doesn't work for others, even in mass media and even with, with agencies and digital. Uh, so I would say, hmm, you know, if you're a printer and you can figure out how to make an easy on-ramp for brands, this might, be an, this might be something worth considering. And that's why I looked at the article. I don't know of printers doing this, but I think some of them, you know, the ones especially that have like a, you know, a highly um, – like digitally oriented interface so that digital native, you know, the kids can place an ad without having to talk to anybody. And maybe they're just doing postcards and maybe there's a QR code or something and they got a landing page. And so they could track it really well uh, in that kind of environment. I think it might make sense. You know, if I would say I wouldn't do it if it just goes to your landing page and we're supposed to figure out the attribution to that because digital has too many advantages on tracking 
you know, once they get a cookie on your machine, they'll claim every time you visit that it was attributable to that, to that, uh, the website or the digital content. So anyway, I highly recommend Chris's article. And I would say, if you're a printer, this is something you might want to think about. Uh, talk to your clients, see if they're interested. Uh, I'm working on a project that I think this might fit really well. Um, but Chris, I'd like to hear more about this. And if you know of anyone uh, that any printer or or agency that's doing print, particularly direct mail, and offering a pay per click, uh, I would be very interested in hearing about it about some specifics of it. But I don't know of any. I've never I've never heard of it. You know, you always pay up front for postage, and you nowadays a lot of printers are saying you pay up front for printing. Have a great day. Like and share. Comment. Comments are worth like 20 likes, okay? And a share too, I think is worth like 20 likes. So likes are great, but comments and shares are much better. Bye-bye.